Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Join us every other Wednesday when we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science, as well as the ins and outs of Good Dog and how our platform can help you successfully run your breeding program. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Good Dog Pod. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Delgado, and today we have a very special guest, our own veterinarian here at Good Dog. He's our veterinarian health lead, Dr. Nate Ritter. Nate, welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Well, today we picked a very special topic that really required some veterinary expertise, and we're going to talk about parasites, specifically Giardia. I think there's nothing that causes angst in breeders and buyers alike as far as having a dog with various poop problems, including things in their poop that they don't want in there. So let's start by just talking about our topic of today, Giardia. What is Giardia? Yeah, so it's a little bit different from some of the other intestinal parasites that we can see. It's something called a protozoa, which is a simple one-celled organism. And this parasite causes an intestinal infection, as you alluded to in the intro. And so dogs can easily become infected by ingesting Giardia in the form of a cyst. So that cyst is the parasite. It's encased in a protective hard shell that allows it to survive in the environment for an extended period of time. And so, you know, if they can ingest this, it's a fecal oral route from Mm -hmm. defecation from an infected animal and then being picked up by one that isn't. And they can pick this up by drinking contaminated water, eating contaminated grass or plants, coming into contact with another animal's feces, licking their own body after coming into contact with something that was contaminated. And then once they're ingested, those cysts, they transform into the trophozoite form, which is the feeding form. So that's when it attaches to the walls of the intestine. They reproduce, grow in number, and then, you know, the cycle kind of continues. Then they defecate out those cysts, new animals pick them up, the cycle continues. The cycle continues. I feel like probably most of us don't want to think about how easy this oral fecal contamination is, like how our dog is just constantly absorbing poo from their environment. But that's an aside. You mentioned one thing is like that, you know, if a dog has worms, you often see evidence, right? If they have tapeworms, you will see the tapeworms. Now, this is a one-celled protozoa, I think is how you described it. This sounds like something you're not going to necessarily see. So what are the signs of Giardia infection? You're not going to see little protozoa in your dog's poop. What will you see? Yeah, you're exactly right. It is microscopic. So we're going off of clinical signs. And so with our pups, the most common sign, as you spoke to earlier, is diarrhea. And this can be foul smelling, sometimes contain mucus or blood. The diarrhea can be intermittent for the most part. Some dogs can be less active, lose some weight, they might vomit. And those signs are more prevalent in dogs with compromised immune systems or naive immune systems. So in our case, you know, puppies is probably what we're focusing on here because so many dogs can also be aclinical. They can show no clinical signs, Hmm. but still be infected. So that's an important point to remember. And so the stool I referred to can kind of seem fatty in appearance, a little Hmm. more liquidy. So when we look at stool in clinic, you can grade it on a scale. It's kind of one through seven, one being particularly hard. Those are individual pellets. You might see your dog putting in some effort in order to defecate. Okay. Sounds a little constipated in that case. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then moving up to a score of a seven, which is, you know, completely watery, really no texture to this. So when we're talking about Giardia, 
the diarrhea as a result of a GRD infection, most oftentimes higher on that scale. So a little more loose. And yeah, so it's something that you can't necessarily just look at a stool sample and say, this is what may be going on. So I'm sure we'll get into testing and whatnot, but that's usually how we appreciate it. So diarrhea, some of those other signs that we spoke to, just some abdominal discomfort as well. Okay. I think there's maybe this idea that diarrhea is like puppies have it, but is there anything different? You know, does it smell worse? Or, I mean, it sounds like some dogs may not have any signs at all. So how do you know if your puppy has giardia? So maybe your puppy has clinical signs. They're having loose stools. Maybe they act like their tummy's upset. Can someone test for this at home or do you have to go to the vet? Like, how do you get a diagnosis? Yeah, so it's a great question. It's something that I would say would be pretty difficult to perform at home. You would need microscopy equipment, some training in terms of how to set up that sample and be able to see it and define it and treat. So I think for the vast majority of people, I think going to your veterinarian with a sample is the appropriate step to take. There's a couple different ways that they can test. Sometimes that's done in clinic with a fecal float or a lot of practices. My practice that I was previously at, we sent that out to a laboratory to look at. Additionally, outside of just the float where you're just looking for the presence of that organism, there's something called an ELISA test that searches just for foreign protein that's specifically associated with those Giardia organisms. So a little more sensitive there. But those are the tests that you can have performed on your dog to see if there is infection present. It's something oftentimes, you know, when you first get a puppy and you first go into the vet, they're probably going to recommend a stool sample. And then it's something that we're, even if your dogs are, like I said, not showing clinical signs, when you go in for that annual appointment, most likely will be recommended having a fecal sample at that time as well. Okay. What's the best way to get that fecal sample? I assume, so both the ELISA and the float require a sample. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so your vet says, hey, we need a fecal sample. Assuming your puppy cannot poop on command, how do you collect that stool sample for good test results? Yeah. So it's a really important question. And you want to collect the sample that's relatively fresh that your clinic can provide you with a, you know, to take that sample, or you can at home keep that clean in the refrigerator, but less than 24 hours. The difficult thing, of course, with Giardia is that it can be shed intermittently. Mm. So just one sample may not be enough in order to diagnose this in certain cases. So sometimes we need multiple samples over the course of different days to try our best to determine if Giardia is present. Okay. So if you got a negative result, but the puppy still had clinical signs, doing a follow-up fecal test might be part of the process of trying to figure out what's going on. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, if they're not responding, if you decide to pursue a certain treatment plan based on that first date and you're not seeing improvement, it may be something that you want to do. Additionally, on the tail end of a treatment course, ensuring that they are clear, you're taking multiple samples at that time. So both used for diagnosis and to ensure that the treatment has been effective. Okay. And I think you've answered my next question, which is just about false negatives. So it sounds like, yes, false negatives are possible. So if your puppy has a negative test, but still has clinical signs, you're not done. Exactly. And it's not a result of the lab equipment or the veterinarian, if they're doing that in-house, maybe missing that. It might not be present in that sample. It might be shed intermittently. So yes, important to collect those over time for this condition specifically. Like we mentioned, a fresh sample in the container. Oftentimes in the veterinary clinic, what you'll see, it's almost like a little tube and it has a little spoon within that to collect. You actually don't need much. A lot of people come in with quite the sample. You'd be surprised (laughs) exactly how little you need in order to run that sample. But I completely understand it. I mean, if your dog's defecating, you might as well collect the whole thing. You're not going to be taking out little pieces. But we only run a small part of that entire fecal sample. 
And then it depends on the situation and what tests you might pursue. Okay. Well, I know it's recommended to deworm puppies multiple times. Is that going to take care of Giardia? Yeah, so it depends on the drug that's being used. I'm sure we'll get into treatment for Giardia. Most oftentimes that's fenbendazole and or metronidazole. So either of those individually or maybe used in combination. Fenbendazole, commonly company name Panicure. Mm -hmm. Some people do use that for deworming. And in that case, it would be effective if you're utilizing it over the course of the right dose and over the course of the right amount of days. But it's not something that I would recommend, you know, changing your deworming protocol to, to include something that may catch Giardia, as long as you don't have that problem with your program or your pup. It's something that we don't want to pursue if we don't have to. Mm -hmm. Resistance, unfortunately, is a huge issue with Giardia. And so if we're exposing them to the medication over time, when there isn't an active infection, they don't need that medication in order to help clear that. It's not necessarily appropriate. So definitely work with your veterinarian to find an appropriate deworming plan. But it's not something that you need to seek out to treat proactively. You can discuss that deworming protocol with your vet, but it may or may not impact this specific organism dependent on the drug that you use. Okay. So if you don't, to the best of your knowledge, have Giardia in your breeding program, are there preventative measures you should be taking just to be on the safe side? Yes, for sure. And with this specifically, you know, we're talking about personal hygiene and environmental hygiene. So, you know, the dog's feces, you should be cleaning that up carefully and immediately after a dog has a bowel movement. We should be bathing dogs regularly, you know, depending on once again, similarly to the deworming, if it's present or not, you'll be obviously bathing uh, at different frequencies. For the environment, you can disinfect routinely, household disinfectants, diluted bleach, steam cleaning. You should be washing your pet's bedding I and mean, different things that they come into contact with. So toys, food mm. and water bowls, dog crates, we should be cleaning all those things. Okay, great. Now you talked about two dewormers that can also help with Giardia, but what are the most common treatments, say you're past the deworming stage and your puppy or maybe one of your buyer's puppies has been diagnosed with Giardia? What is next as far as treatment or common medications? Yeah, so the dewormer that can also be effective in bendazole is often used first, sometimes in conjunction with metronidazole or metronidazole may be used independently. So I would definitely recommend working with your veterinarian to come up with the appropriate treatment plan there. But those are the two common drugs that are used. Treatment typically ranges from three to 10 days or so. And then we want to retest, as we discussed earlier, to ensure that that has been effective. And, you know, an important point, once again, if the dog, you go in for your annual appointment or your first puppy visit and the dog's not showing clinical signs, I mean, we do appreciate a level of Giardia as long as that load isn't too high. If they're doing okay, Mm -hmm. we may not treat it. Once again, to the point of resistance and unnecessarily treating. So if the dog's otherwise doing okay, it may not be something that we pursue at that time. The other thing that's important to remember with this as well is, you know, we talked about the clinical signs that it can cause outside of just treating Giardia itself, the clinical signs that results of that, we want to take care of those as well. So not oftentimes do dogs get dehydrated from diarrhea, but when we're talking about pups specifically, very Mm. small, any kind of loss can can result in dehydration. So they may need supportive care, subcutaneous fluids. You know, oftentimes we give highly digestible diets, Mm. probiotics, things of that nature to help them feel better outside of just clearing the infection. Okay. Those are some great suggestions to support a puppy who's maybe being treated or not being treated. And I guess there's a few questions that I have. Like if you know your dog maybe has a low level of Giardia, 
Should you be letting them poop in public spaces? Or like if you clean up after them, is that sufficient to kind of make sure you're not infecting other dogs? Yeah, that's a really great question. And so oftentimes with the pups specifically, when they come in diagnosed with that, and they're talking about, oh, puppy class, this and that, and exposing other animals. Yes. So once again, we want to collect that appropriately as quickly as possible. Sometimes if they're in the treatment phase, we don't want to have them in places where other dogs may come into contact with that. So keeping them relatively isolated, but that's a great point. Okay. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Is maintaining your breeding program's website becoming costly and difficult to manage? Good Dog has the solution. Good Dog provides members of our Good Breeder community with free, professionally designed profiles powered by design support from our professional graphic designers and 24-7 technical support from our team of cybersecurity experts and software engineers. Using your Good Breeder profile, you can post available, expected, or planned letters to connect with Good Dog applicants, display the health testing you perform on your breeding dogs, share your transport options, and securely accept dog payments and more. Good breeders are always in control of and free to edit their profiles, and our team of experts is always on hand to help good breeders tailor their profiles to their liking. We work hard to send you quality applicants because we believe good breeders deserve the best homes for their dogs. We invest in online marketing campaigns and search engine optimization strategies to help bring you educated good dog applicants from across the country so you don't have to worry about it. We're here to empower good breeders with the power of technology while providing our community with 24-7 tech and design support to help good breeders create profiles that highlight each of their breeding programs and show interested buyers just how amazing your dogs truly are. Make your programs costly and difficult to maintain website a thing of the past by applying to join our good breeder community at gooddog.com slash join. You touched on this, but I think, you know, we hear more and more about drug resistance and it sounds like there can be problems with Giardia being drug resistant. So in that case, you know, what should we be doing to prevent that? And does rotating medications, I see a lot of stuff online, like people are like kind of troubleshooting and coming up with these ideas, like, does it help to rotate different medications? Or is this something that if you are experiencing kind of a drug resistant case of Giardia, just go to your vet? Or how do you handle that? Yeah, we do seem to be seeing more and more and more of it. A lot of that is becoming more and more resistant. And so rotating medications, I would say almost unfortunately can lend itself to that issue. Mm -hmm. If you expose animals to multiple different medications, the organism can become familiar with those as well. And so really utilizing the medications that are appropriate for this, ensuring that it's been treated with the right amount. So obviously working with your veterinarian to come up with an appropriate treatment plan here is very important. As we discussed earlier as well, if we're having our puppy deworming protocol not doing anything proactive. I really think that's important unless we are aware of its presence and it needs to be treated. I don't think it's something that we should necessarily pursue. So those are the really important points to make there. I I think sticking to what we know works and having that prescribed and administered at the correct dosage over the correct periods of time. But the veterinarian is the one that should be making that call. Okay. And we talked a little bit about how the environment can be contributing to this problem. So when we have an article in our Good Breeder Center on cleaning and disinfecting and sanitizing and kind of what the differences are. So I definitely recommend people check that out if you are having any problems or you want to prevent problems. But, you know, as far as if your property is contaminated, what is the best way to get that under control? Like you can't burn your house down. (laughs) Can you treat your yard or is it like you're just kind of not allowing your puppies outside? That doesn't seem like a great option either. So yeah, what do you do if you've got it in your program? 
Yeah, so a lot more difficult in the outdoor environment than the indoor, and Giardi can survive for months in the right environment. Mm. So we're talking most oftentimes damp, shaded. So really the recommendation there, yes, like you said, you can't treat your yard, but what we're going to be doing, you know, we don't want standing water. We want to allow as much sunlight as possible to try to dry out those locations to make the Giardi more susceptible, but you're not going to be able to, you know, uh, disinfect or clean uh, those areas the same as you are indoors. Um, So, you know, particularly important, once again, to clean up as quickly as possible, but really dry sunlight. Those are the two things that can really be helpful for a yard. Okay. And certainly when a breeder is setting up their kennel, what kind of material should they be using to house their dogs or basically making sure that they're not making things worse or potentially setting themselves up for a situation? Sure. Yeah, really good point. And I think, you know, oftentimes we see people, unfortunately, utilizing materials that may be more porous and are more difficult to clean and disinfect. So referring specifically to wood here. Yeah. So we want to see things that are really easy to clean. Like you mentioned, that article that we have, I think is a fantastic resource for people that may be either interested in improving their kennel environment or building one for the first time. But we want to get off on the right foot. Um, Believe me, it will pay off down the road. So to ensure we're using the appropriate materials, because there are some, unfortunately, that we can't clean and disinfect to the point that we'd like. Okay. And what are some good materials? Yeah. So when we're in those areas, you know, oftentimes metal is helpful. Plastic, you know, a lot of times we'll make recommendations with whelping areas. Even you'll see people utilizing those kiddie pools, (laughs) you know, perfectly fine. Plastic, easy to clean and disinfect. So those are good starting points. Great. Yeah. And if you want to check out that article, go to our Good Breeder Center at gooddog.com and click on the tab health. So if you've had a dog with Giardia, you treat them from Giardia, the Giardia seems to be gone. Maybe the environment has not been fully treated. Can that dog get infected again? Yes, unfortunately. Mm. And that's one of the biggest problems. Saw a lot of frustration in the (laughs) clinic with that, with people coming back after an extensive treatment plan, that seemingly being cleared and having it come back. So it's definitely important to think about your dog can be reinfected, not necessarily from themselves, but the existing Giardia that may be in the environment. Or as you referred to, if we're taking that dog in public areas, what other dogs may be. And so, yes, certainly something to think about, like we talked about, maybe bathing at the end of that treatment course, cleaning inside and doing our best with the outdoor environment and keeping that in mind if we're going to return them to that. This oftentimes like we talked about, it's more so in these immune compromised animals where this mm-hmm. is an issue. And so as they grow, oftentimes not. And so we just need to get them past that stage where they may be particularly vulnerable. Okay. And speaking of vulnerability, we get quite a few questions from new puppy owners about puppies that were fine at the breeder's home. But as soon as they get to their new home, the diarrhea begins and the giardia is diagnosed. What's going on here? Yeah. So it's a really good question. And it's that immune system that's already naive to a certain extent, considering they're young, it's further compromised by stress. You know, that placement process can be particularly stressful for traveling, new environment, new home. So an animal that might have been dealing with that organism already relatively well, that stress can impact them to the point where all of a sudden now we are impacted. And so while it may have seemingly was healthy uh, with the breeder and was, I won't even say seemingly was healthy with the breeder, then went home to the new buyer. And unfortunately, stress took hold and allowed this organism to result in clinical signs for that dog. So definitely important to remember to try and make that transition. You can obviously, I think, speak to this better than I can, as stress-free as possible. There will be an inherent amount of that regardless, but definitely taking that into consideration. It's really important, not just for, you know, behaviorally, but for physical health as well. 
Okay. It sounds like Giardia can happen to any dog. Yeah, absolutely. It can happen to any dog. Like we said, particularly older animals, younger animals, ones that are immune compromised. You'd be surprised at the amount of dogs that come in doing perfectly fine for their annual visits. And there's a certain amount of Giardia appreciated. Once again, not necessarily a negative thing where we'll treat it at that time, but it is somewhat ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And we're seeing more and more resistance. So it's something to take seriously and to think about and want everyone to be well aware of it and have a certain level of comfort when they encounter it. Great. Well, thank you so much for answering all of my questions about Giardia. I hope everybody enjoyed learning about dog poo. It's one of my favorite topics. So thanks everyone for listening. And once again, if you have any questions, we have lots of content in our Good Breeder Center. Go to gooddog.com, click on Good Breeder Center, and you will find all kinds of resources, including articles about various intestinal parasites and cleaning and prevention. So thanks again, Dr. Ritter, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Good Dog Pod. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to The Good Dog Pod on your favorite podcast platform.